is Cheers to Your Pivot, a podcast to help you challenge old visions and lead your way. My name is Dr. Taryn, and I'm a leadership coach. I spent two decades climbing the conventional career ladder, only to realize it was not what I wanted. So I decided to pivot and start my own business, and I did so with a strategy in hand. My business launched to six figures in less than 90 days. Most importantly, I lead my way. Listen, conditioning kills calling. So let's get started and cheers to your pivot. I just have to say, I cannot believe I am almost at the end of season one of Cheers to Your Pivot. It's crazy. Wow. Thank you so much for listening. But we are not quite finished this season yet. It's just a reflection point for me to see how far that this podcast has come. And it has been to a dream team of people. But before we get there, this week, we're continuing with the Perspectives miniseries. And so this is a deep dive into phase two of my Cheers to Your Pivot framework which is my framework to help aspiring, experienced, and transitioning leaders pivot from the status quo and evolve to the next chapter. So this is the framework that I use to help clients lead their way. It's the framework I go to to help them maintain their relationships while challenging social norms, or it's the framework I use to help them push back against practices and behaviors that don't serve the communities that they are here to serve right? It's it's the framework I use to help you do the work that matters to you, your communities, and to the world. So today we're talking about guilt and what happens when we feel this guilt and when it happens. It typically happens when we're outside of our comfort zone. And, you know, we can take those feelings of guilt and we can use them to help us cultivate healthy and positive self-reflection practices that transform our lives. So today you're going to walk away with three clear action steps to take that will help you make the shift to rethinking your daily routines for better emotional health and wellness as you continue through this transformation. I'm going to get personal today. And so my goal is to not cry. (laughs) All right, but here we go. When I learned that I was having a son with Down syndrome, you know, I was at first at shock. I was disappointed. And that's, that's a hard one for me to say. But if I'm being honest, I was disappointed. There were moments that was very sad. And I felt like I had done something wrong. I had decided, you know, that I wanted to have a baby and I was later in my life. I was about 35-ish, you know, going on 36. I had to do all the geriatric pregnancy stuff. So they make it really known that you're old when that happens. They like label you geriatric, right? So that's clear enough. You don't have to ask too many questions there. And so I was wondering, did I decide to have a baby too late in life? You know, was I being punished in some way? Um, was this news an indication of something negative? You know, I was spiraling and I'm being honest because I am not there anymore. Right. So I 
have so many stories that are on the other side of this, but I don't think enough people talk about how they really feel. And as a mother, right? I am wearing this face as being a mother and telling you, I was at shock. I was disappointed. I felt like I had done something wrong. And this was not the baby I had envisioned for myself. That was internal. There were also some external factors that contributed to my reasons of feeling the way I was feeling. And so I want to, you know, put a light on that. Um, and like I said, at the end, we're walking away with some action steps. So we're definitely not sitting here, but we're going to be real while we're here. So for those of you who don't know how families learn about their child's Down syndrome diagnosis, there's a few ways that it happens, really two. Um, there's always nuances in between, but you can learn very early on if you do any of that initial blood work. You can learn through your ultrasound. So as your baby is growing, there's certain changes in growth or certain growths that you don't necessarily see or that there, there's bone structures that might not be showing up or showing up with some discrepancies. And that then gives you some indicators. Some families get their Down syndrome diagnosis at birth. So they have been given no indication whatsoever. And the baby comes, the baby's here, and they do an initial check based on physical features mostly. And they are diagnosed at the time. So that that's a lot of shock. Right. And I have talked to moms who have and, and dads who have felt that. And it's very hard. So I will say at all points of this journey, it can be very traumatic. In fact, a lot of my volunteer efforts today are around changing the experiences that expected families have once they learn of their child's Down syndrome diagnosis, because I truly believe that that experience that my husband and I shared should have gone differently and it should have been more positive. But at the time, you don't know what you don't know. And so I'm a part of lots of different efforts nationally to help bridge that gap between what we don't know and what we now know to ensure that that experience is different and there's less guilt, there's less shame, there's less disappointment when that diagnosis is received. So my birth story goes like this, like we learned of our son's diagnosis early. So I believe I was about 13, maybe less than 13 weeks. Um, and we were called to into a meeting. So I don't know about you, but I mean, anytime you're called into a meeting, that is not a typical meeting. I think anybody, like think about at work when your boss says, hey, can we have a meeting? Like, it doesn't matter what it is. You're like, oh gosh, you know, it's the first thing. It's like, what did I do? <laughs> right? So it's it's the same situation for us. We were called into a meeting, right? And we were asked to come to this building that for us felt like it was cold. It was uninviting. It was unfamiliar. The building that we had to go to was inside the cancer center. So that just also made us a little nervous. Like, how come we're not going to our normal location where we do our doctor's appointments, right? And it was an emergency meeting. This wasn't a planned meeting. So we knew that there was something to be concerned about, right? And it wasn't with our doctor. It was with the geneticist to talk about the results that had been uh, received. And so 
There was also some miscommunication because the geneticists thought we had received our results already. And, and the perspective there was, we're just going to go over these and explain them further to you. But at that time, we hadn't even seen any results. We didn't know anything about it. So immediately, we had feelings of this is not right. This something's wrong. And that, there you go. There starts the spiral, right? So, you know, even though we didn't know, we still kind of wanted to hold on to some kind of hope, but the process was so different that we couldn't. I mean, the baby that was growing inside my belly didn't feel different. I felt very much pregnant and excited and ready, but... It was these external factors and these experiences that were making it completely different and foreign and unfamiliar, having knowing that this was my third child. So I obviously understood what the experiences were going to look like. So we sit down in this office. There's only two chairs. I mean, the office is tiny. There's only two chairs. We like skirt around each other to like get in these two chairs. And across from them is this young doctor. She had gorgeous, I mean, gorgeous, sweeping blonde curls. Like they were so pretty. And she was sitting across from us. And listen, I immediately like sized her up because that's what you do when you're scared. <laughs> like I was immediately like, like looking like, okay, can I trust her? Who is this person? Do we have any connection at all? I was scanning her room, her office for clues of like any type of connection or care. You know, I'm looking for photos. I do see a fresh, what looked like a fresh wedding photo with who I assumed was her husband because it just looked like that kind of photo, right? And in my mind, I'm like, okay, this girl's married. Like she understands this dynamic perhaps between me and my husband. Um, but she does look like she was just married yesterday. You know, I was a young bride at one point myself. And so I'm like, I don't know if she's going to get it. I hope she says something good, you know, just sizing her up because I am terrified about what I'm going to hear. I don't think it's good, right? So it'll be a shock if it is good to me. Her speaking pitch is quite somber, right? When she is talking to us. And, and again, I think that's because she assumed we had already like read some things and maybe just didn't understand them. And so I think in her mind, she was serving to be more information, a little bit more guidance. We had no clue. And she soon learned that as we started talking. So she asks us if we had reviewed our results and we're like, no, what results? We don't have anything. And so that's when I think the moment really was like, oh gosh, I'm going to be the first person to tell them this. So we just say like, we were hoping you were going to tell us what we were having. Like, that's why we did the blood work. We just wanted to be as early as possible to know if we were having a boy or a girl. So she's like, oh yes, yes. We have that information here, here and I can tell you what you're having. So we then like my husband and I, we lock our eyes and we like search for hope within each other's eyes. Like I know, I remember looking at him and thinking, okay, everything's going to be okay. Like we're all right. We're going to be good. And I could feel his eyes like doing the same thing, like searching inside of my soul to say, we're good. We're good, babe. We're all right. We're going to be okay. So we then turn back to the geneticist and that's when 
the very next thing we heard was that our blood work revealed that our baby had a 99.9% chance of having trisomy 21, otherwise known as Down syndrome. And I, I mean, for the life of me, I literally froze. I couldn't even like pull together what it was. I mean, I have studied exceptionalities and special education and different, you know, learning styles. So I had heard Down syndrome before. I have even interacted with children with Down syndrome. I have sat in IEPs for children with Down syndrome. So I get it. But in the moment, I literally froze. I could not think of anything. And it felt like the room like silenced for at least five solid minutes. That's not what happened, but that's what it felt. It felt like the, the room just stopped. And then I remember her following up with, you're having a boy. And that's when my husband just started to cry. And he cried because he really wanted a boy. He was dreaming of having a boy. And this was like what he wanted to hear. But it was also coupled with information that we were not prepared to hear. So it's it was a lot of like, what is happening, right? And we were presented with these brochures and these pamphlets, and we were presented with options to terminate our pregnancy. And it was a lot. It was a lot of information. And we were at no point prepared for any of it. And so in that moment, we consoled each other. We tried to stay calm. But for me, I can only speak for myself. Inside my body, I felt so many things. There was so much shame. Like there was so much guilt. There was discomfort. I was angry. You know, this was the first time I had been asked by a medical professional if I wanted to keep my baby or not. While in the same conversation, learning that I was having a boy that we had been talking about and imagining and envisioning for the past couple of weeks, you know, months really at this point. And so this moment started a lengthy journey of some of the hardest moments in my life initially. And personally, I couldn't help in that moment, but wonder, did I do something wrong? It just really felt like, you know, did I do this? Was this my fault? Or the other thought was, were these results that didn't belong to me? Like, is this a mistake? Like, this can't be. What other, what other information can we get? And I remember going through further testing to confirm because there was just a, a moment of denial that, nah, I, I, they, they got this wrong. You know, even when we called our family members, our, we called just one or two of our closest family members and told them in this like secret conversation. And even in their conversation was like, well, you know, those doctors, they're not God, you know, it's science, but science could be wrong. So we were holding on to this hope that it was wrong, right? Which is all that guilt and denial, like all around us, right? Because again, we had been talking about having a baby And we had already dreamt up the entire life of this child in our mind. And we were being given information about a baby we had never even considered in that way. And that's tough. And I know many, 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 many families who have been here or who are here right now. And that's why I'm sharing it. 
because there is a path forward. I'm a testimony that there's a path forward. So for months on end, my husband and I, we sat in these waves of emotion. It had never crossed our mind to terminate the pregnancy, which was why we felt kind of angry about that. I have my own opinions about pro-choice. However, I do think it's a, it's important for each individual person to be deciding that for themselves when they're in that situation. It did kind of just trip me up, right? That I had never been asked that question before. And clearly because I'm being asked this question, it's highlighting for me that this is going to be a difficult child to raise. Like it's just, it's just like highlighting that, you know, you got options. Like maybe you don't want to go down this road now that you know, which is very frustrating because to know what I know now, that option doesn't even necessarily need to be on the table at all. Although, you know, that was our reality, it also dawned on me that my son was fighting for significance in the world. And really, that didn't feel fair to me once I really wrapped my head around the fact that he's fighting to be seen as someone important and special to the world right now. And I need to fight for him. Like I need to fight for him because not only does this diagnosis create another place where he can be stigmatized, he's also going to grow up as a black boy. And that's another place where he can be stigmatized. So I need to fight for him. I need to fight for his significance in the world. And that's where my grief process began. When I realized I needed to fight for him, I had then to grieve the vision that I had for him. I had to let go of all those preconceived ideas, those preconceived visions. He's going to do this. He's going to play football. He's going to go to this college. He's going to do this in school. I can't wait to take him here. I can't wait to take him there. You know, all the things that you do, the minute you're, you find out you're having a baby, you literally like create the whole path in your head. You get all the things, right? We did that and I had to grieve it. I had to let it go because all those ideas I had of his future and the thoughts I had about what he'd be like and how he'd act and who he'd be, I had to let him go. And I had to fight for who he was right now and fully accept who he will become, which was, I didn't know. I didn't know who he would become, but I had to fight for him and his existence and the greatness he could bring to the world regardless. And it literally started the path to a whole new world that I'm experiencing right now. Once again. Do you find yourself looking over the horizon, dreaming of a change, but you're not quite sure how to take that first step? Well, my friend, it's time to turn the page. Imagine having a personal guide by your side, someone who's navigated the twists and turns of career transitions, cheering you on, offering wisdom, and providing the strategies you need to pivot with confidence. I just opened up a few more spots in my one-on-one coaching program, Cheers to Your Pivot. I teach people how to pivot with power, purpose, and consciousness. So during our year together, we will have strategy sessions, 
weekly accountability checks, and you'll get exclusive resources and templates you can use right away. So to learn more, head on over to cheers to your pivot.com forward slash program or click the link in the description below. Now let's get back to the episode. And let me be clear, the vision that I had, me personally, because I can't speak for my husband, but the vision that I had for my son in those initial months, it was so small. So, so, so small. I had no idea what transformation he'd make in my life and what gifts he'd bring to our family and the communities that we're in. I had no idea. It was so small. I couldn't even imagine who he is today because I wasn't capable of it. But grieving the vision that I had allowed me to even begin to see the greatness he would be in the world. And so although all the medical professionals, they did their job, they did what they were supposed to do. That geneticist, she had empathy. She was kind. She did what she had to do, right? She did it to the best of her ability. And my doctor that I worked with, who would check me every single week, all of them were wonderful. Right. But it does pain me to know that my diagnosis story, it doesn't have like celebration in it. There wasn't a pop of a bottle. It wasn't clink of a glass. We didn't go to Babies R Us to shop afterwards. And I know I'm dating myself with Babies R Us, but I literally remember with my other two learning what I was having and then going straight to the stores and shopping. We did none of that because we literally sat in our car and we cried because we were like, what? is happening. (laughs) Like, What is happening? That was our experience. And it was a lot of those external factors that made it that way. Because once I actually had the opportunity to meet families within the Down syndrome community, right? And I got out to talk to people that I didn't know. And I got out there to build new perspectives. I was able to receive the fact that I was actually just having a baby and I was having a baby that would be different than my other two children. Well, that I already knew. That's not an aha moment. So it allowed me to question, well, what are you feeling guilty about then? Where's the shame coming from? Where's the disappointment coming from? You're bringing a life into the world and this will be a baby that you know is different from your other two children. And that's the fact. All these other things are things that you've imagined because you're afraid. You've cooked them up on your own. They are stories you told yourself and you can now unstory them and just receive what's right before you. And so. Just like that, I embraced the journey. I welcomed the fact that I was going to go on a journey and that the plans could change at any time because I'm having a baby. I I know what to expect, but then you can't expect everything. You don't, you can't map it out perfectly. And I knew that and I was comfortable with that. So there goes the beginning to embracing the journey. And yes, this journey was a little different. They, there could be more illnesses and there could be some surgeries and there can be some developmental delays. And yeah, 
And there also could not be surgeries. And there also could not be developmental delays that are significant that hold us back. And I'm glad I could think in that way after I was able to let go of that shame and grief and guilt because that's exactly what I experienced today. Our journey is so amazing that to know what I know now, it's embarrassing to know that I felt like that at one point. I felt so much shame and guilt and disappointment and anger and embarrassment. It pains me to have to share this story, but I'm sharing it because it's real. It's real. And I don't think I'd be doing a service to anyone by acting like there wasn't a journey I went through. There wasn't a pivot I had to make. There was an internal turmoil that I had to come to grips with to get here. I'd be lying and I don't do that. I am going to use this platform to be as real and as honest as I can. So when I think about the families that I now volunteer to serve, you know, I do so by calling them. I call families all over the United States just to congratulate them on their new baby once they've been given their Down syndrome diagnosis, because it's the one thing I didn't hear. I did not hear that in that meeting. And it took a long time for me to really hear congratulations about things because I also went through a guilt period and was shy to share his diagnosis with anyone. Because we didn't get to celebrate our baby once we learned he was having going to have Down syndrome, I now try to change that experience for everyone else that I can come in contact with that's getting that same diagnosis. So here are a few things that I learned from the shame and the guilt that I experienced along my journey. So first thing, feelings of shame are not good. Brene Brown's research and her work around shame is important to consume. There's so many books, podcasts. I mean, she is an accessible resource to you through Google. And I think it's important if you are in a place where you are feeling great shame about anything to just start consuming a little bit of her work because you'll learn so much. Here's what I learned from her work and the work of others. Shame, it inhibits learning and and personal growth. Shame is actually a part of that stuckness that you feel. And when individuals feel deep shame, they avoid people and situations. And that's exactly what I did. I did not even tell some of my closest family members. I mean, family members that I grew up with and love, like would tell them the first thing of anything happening in my life. I didn't tell them about my son's diagnosis until maybe six or seven months into my pregnancy. Unheard of, unheard of. That is not Taryn-like behavior, I'm telling you. It's just not. And that happened. Why? Because shame inhibits learning and personal growth. It keeps you hiding and you avoid people and you avoid situations. Feeling shame 
can lead to low self-esteem and negative self-image, right? And so it makes it difficult for individuals to engage in that self-reflection and that improvement. So my feelings of shame were on me. I, I needed to own them and I was going to be the only person that was going to release myself from them. So it wasn't until I started talking to other families, I started sharing how I was feeling in the most raw and candid way with people that I knew loved me and would protect me and would care and love on me. When I started doing that and I started sharing and exposing myself to people, that shame began to disappear. It literally started to just shed off of me. Why? Because I think on the other side of shame is being able to just show people who you are, right? On the other side of shame is show. Like, I want to tell you what I'm going through. I've been hiding from you and here's why. And once that conversation happens, there is a level of release that also happens and it allows you to take one more step forward. Because when you are in shame, you are also focusing on yourself. It Shame leads to an excessive self-focus. It makes it challenging for you to objectively assess what's happening to you and how to learn from it. And again, I can relate to this. I would feel like things were only happening to me. This Down syndrome diagnosis was only happening to me, but that's not true. There was a great realization that I also had a partner going through the same thing. He had his own feelings that maybe he didn't fully understand. My mother was one of the people who found out about the information really early and she was struggling with her own thoughts and feelings. My parents, my in-laws, they had this information. Maybe they were going through a process. I couldn't see anyone or anything but my own. And again, shame helps you zero in and have a self-focus and it makes you think you're the only one going through this. And so if you think you're the only one going through this, then here we go. Start at the top. You'll avoid people and situations, right? That's one of the first things I said about shame. Now that you're avoiding people in situations, you're not talking to anybody, you're in your own head. Next part of that, your self-esteem goes down and your self-image goes down. Right? And now, oh, this is only happening to me. And it's just like a cycle. It's a shame cycle. But how do you break it? You break it by expressing yourself and focusing more on what you can learn about what's happening. And so what happens when you feel like you can start to learn from what's happening to you? Well, another thing happens. Another emotion comes through called guilt. (laughs) When you realize you've been living in shame and you now think you can start to learn from the shame that you've been in, here comes the guilt. But here's the good thing about guilt. Guilt can do the opposite. Guilt, on the other hand, can fuel your transformation. So let's talk about guilt really quickly. Guilt facilitates learning. So unlike shame, guilt can be a more adaptive emotion. 
healthy guilt can facilitate learning from your mistakes, right? And it helps you to take some responsibility of your actions and helps you to make amends. So when I talked about that moment when I felt like I needed to grieve this vision that I had of my son, I realized that vision wasn't mine to create. And we do it all the time. We decide in our head who we think we want our kids to be. Sorry, that's actually not our role. We don't determine who they will be. We help to cultivate the kind of child that we hope to see and the type of citizen we hope to see in the world, but we don't determine who they will be, what they will do, how they will fare, what things they'll go through. We don't determine that. And I had taken that vision and I made it my own and I was wrong for that from the jump. And so Grieving that vision of my son was also me having to reckon with the fact that I had created it myself and it wasn't mine to create. So there's some guilt that I went through in that. But guilt promotes empathy. Guilt is associated with empathetic and pro-social behaviors. Feeling guilt for wrongdoing can motivate you to repair relationships and to engage in behaviors that benefit you and others. So once I learned, you know, about the positive relationships and the community and the experiences that children with Down syndrome were having in life, the guilt I felt about thinking this was something that was disappointing or thinking that my child's Down syndrome diagnosis was something I should be ashamed of, I turned that guilt into ways that I can help more families who get the Down syndrome diagnosis have a better experience than mine. I turned that into something that could benefit others. But I wouldn't have been able to get there unless I went through some of that shame and guilt and that acknowledgement that there was a lot for us to learn and there was a lot that I could do to help change how this looks in the future. Guilt encourages that moral development. Guilt can serve as your moral compass, guiding you to align your actions with your values and the norms that you want to see in the world. It can promote that ethical decision-making and that responsible behavior. And that's what it did in my life. I volunteer because I want it to look different. And there's more things that I can do to make that experience different. And I try to do them as much as I can. Guilt has fueled me to think about others and to create change in the world. And so lastly, guilt builds your self-reflection. Guilt prompts individuals like yourself, like me, to engage in deeper understanding of your actions and the impact they have on others. This is where that healthy relationship with self-reflection, that's where it comes from and that's where it's built. It's actually built from some of the, the trials and tribulations we've been through. I'm going to leave you with three action steps, right? That are going to help you, you know, shift, right? Shift your and and rethink some of your daily routines so that 
you can have better emotional health around the things that you're you're going through and have stronger wellness while you're continuing your transformation. That will include some shame at times, which is not good, but it happens. It will include guilt, especially if you have learned something new because once you know better, you should do better, right? So guilt comes into play when you're part of your transformation. But here are the three action steps that will continue to cultivate a healthy, self-reflective practice. So one, practice mindfulness. Practice this self-reflection. Mindfulness and self-reflection, it helps individuals observe their feelings of shame or guilt without judgment and it allows for a more objective view. This is the daring discomfort. Even though you're feeling all these things, confronting them anyway, there it is. It's the step forward into a healthy self-reflection. The second action step, self-compassion. So self-reflection cultivates self-compassion. It allows you to help treat yourself with kindness and understanding in times of failure. It can help you mitigate the negative impact of shame and guilt and foster a more positive approach to self-improvement. And so when you're writing all these things that you're upset about in your journal, taking a step away from that journal when you're finished and coming back and rereading how you once felt helps to breed some of that self-compassion. Wow, when I read this, I I can definitely tell that I'm not being kind to myself. I should be more kind to myself in the future. Wow, yesterday I was feeling like the world was literally over. And today I realized there's something great happening in my life. I need to be kinder to myself. Self-reflection helps to do that. And this is why I really love journaling because it allows you to have that artifact. But you can self-reflect in your head. You can do that work internally without writing anything down. I'm just a a cheerleader for journaling, you know? But self-reflection cultivates self-compassion. So that's an action step for you today. How can you be more compassionate? What kind of things can help you get there? And Third action step, get coaching, get counseling, effectively work through your feelings of shame and guilt. You cannot see what you can't see. You don't know what you don't know. And sometimes if you choose to just do the work on your own by yourself without an expert or a community or someone to help you rethink your routine behaviors or your routine thoughts, you will likely remain stuck, stagnant, and stale. And if you're on this podcast, that is not the life you're about. That's why you're here. The the podcast is called Cheers to Your Pivot. So anybody checking this out is already aware they want to make a change, right? So if you really feel like oh, I can't get the reflection journal started. Oh, mindfulness is not my jam. Oh, I just feel like I'm beating myself up all the time. Oh, I have no way of moving forward. I just can't see my own way through. 
then look for help. Get a coach, get a therapist, get a counselor, and they can help you effectively work through these feelings. So here's a recap. Shame is not good for your transformational journey. Let it go. Use self-reflection, coaching, or a community to help you turn that shame into something more productive in your life. However, guilt, on the other hand, right? Guilt can help you push outside of your comfort zone. Guilt can fuel change in your life. And guilt can lead to a healthy and positive relationship with self-reflection and greater self-awareness. All right, so that's it for today. And I did not cry. So I'm so excited for that. I got through it without a tear. And so next week, right, we're continuing with our perspectives mini series. And we're going to learn how we can rethink our routine behaviors and embrace change and be open to new ways of doing things. It is time for you to be the disruptor you've always wanted to be. So let's talk about it. What are you going to do differently? That's next week. So I'll see you later. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. You could have been anywhere in the world and you chose to be here. I really appreciate you for that. So listen, if you love this episode, make sure to follow so you never miss an episode with me. And if you want to continue the conversation, send me a DM on LinkedIn and we can connect over there. See you next week.